I'm so excited to welcome Janine Andrews Feldman, the Chief Marketing and Experiences Officer for SHRM. Janine, welcome to CMO Pulse. It's really exciting to have this conversation with you today. Oh, thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. Appreciate you inviting me. So let's start with um, something that I'm sure is top of mind for many of our viewers and listeners. Tell me a little bit about your organization and what the what the experience has been like thinking about being the experiences <laughs> officer as well um, with the COVID-19 pandemic and the just absolute sea change that has flowed from that with respect to how people how people work. Yeah. No, so great. Thank you. Um, so SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management, right? And so we're an organization, we're a membership organization that um, is a global organization. So um, we've got over 300,000 members globally. And we really serve the HR professional. But in doing that, we also serve business executives, policymakers and influencers, and of course, academia. So um, the, our, our stretch is a little bit wider than the just, tra- just traditional uh, HR professional. Um, we've been around 70 years. Um, we are an, uh, you know, an association, as I said. We don't think about ourselves as an association uh, per se, because we really are here to be able to help. Um, you know, we talk about our tagline is better workplaces, better world. And what we're trying to do here is instill in HR professionals, support them, as well as the greater business community and how we can make the workplace of today a better workplace for all. And so that means talking about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. That means looking at untapped talent pools, people that are formerly incarcerated or disadvantaged in some sort of way, so that we make sure everybody has an opportunity to work. And now I'm going to pick up on something important that I think uh, that you think you just sort of hinted at is this this concept of advising professionals, HR professionals, but I know it goes broader than that. How are you keeping your finger on the pulse around how people are feeling? Because I know that must be a critical part to, you know, staying uh, well in sync with the HR community, is staying close with how employees are, are actually feeling and thinking and changing. Can you tell me a little bit about your process around that? Yeah, you know, it's um, we're lucky. We have a, a terrific research organization. So one of my colleagues is the chief research officer, and um, and we go out with research constantly. We're continuously polling employees and employers to get a pulse on the organization, um, the workplace itself, right, and determine then how we can best help HR serve its employees and the employment community as a whole. And what are the some what are some of the biggest takeaways or shifts that you've you've observed through your research? Yeah, I mean, I think that the key is is that there's a couple of things, right? So when you talk about workplace culture, right? Um, most people think that people are leaving organizations for you know an increase in salary, just as a simple explanation, right? It's really not that. People leave organizations because of their managers. It's a workplace culture issue. And so the more that we can do to make sure that the culture of the workplace um, is one that uh, is, uh, is a great fit for our employees. So we should hire based on culture. We need to look at skills, certainly, and experience sets. But you also have to hire based on culture and make sure that there's a fit because otherwise it's not going to work for either party. And they're going to end up leaving, again, not necessarily for that increase in pay, but it's not a match because there's a, it's a people manager issue. 
Yeah, I feel like that um, that saying of "oh, someone just left for a little bit more money." It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like a seller saying, "Oh, we didn't close the sale because they didn't have budget." You're like, usually there's another reason that was weighing in because because something else wasn't happening. Um, how do you think the workplace of 2022 will be different? Like, what are you advising the businesses and the professionals that you partner with to approach a little differently? Um, because I feel like early in 2020 and, you know, throughout the early stages of the pandemic, there was maybe a little bit of, um, I don't want to say smugness, but there was certainly a sense of like, well, no one's going anywhere, the world's falling to pieces, so you can sort of just sit tight. Um, And we found out pretty conclusively in 2021 that that is not the case. I think it's termed the great migration, or I I think you had another great great term for it. The great Um, resignation. There you go. So, which, you know, for employers, I'm sure is not that great. Um, How do employers need to think differently or um, value, you know, shift around how they conduct themselves or what they value to really retain their, their valuable, their valuable talent? Yeah. And I think this is really important. And as marketers, I think we can help. Um, I had an interview recently with another organization, and one of the things that we were talking about is kind of how marketing and HR can come together. And you can come together in a couple of different ways. I mean, obviously brand, right? When we've got a powerful brand and we've got a brand that is relevant, people want to come to that brand, right? You want to work there. Not only do you want as a consumer buy, but you also want to be a part of that experience, right? And so brand is a big piece of that. The other part is, and it's in my title, the experience piece, right? I'm responsible for making sure that our customer or our member experience is is exceptional, right? And you also want to think the same way about your employees, providing them that exceptional onboarding experience, um, making sure that we're serving our employees from the standpoint of benefits. What's really important to them? Because, you know, we actually at Sherm have a pension and a pension is important at different times of your life, but it may not be important if you're just starting out in your career, but there may be other things that are important for you. Uh, We also happen to have um, open leave. That's very important to them. Right. So if you're newer into the workforce and in some organizations, you're going to get 14 days and you accrue it over a certain period of time, you come to an organization like Sherm, we have open access and you'll be able to go to your friend's wedding in Australia or, or, or take that trip back to see your family in India. Whatever it is, you have the ability to do that because of that. So it really does mean that you have to think about the personalization. Right. We do that in marketing. So why not think about your employees in the same kind of way so that you you actually personalize the benefits based on, um, you know, who that individual employees or or, you know, at least certainly in in, uh, different segments. And and that's not a comment. Like, do you think that this will be more of a trend of bringing customer experience and marketing together? I know that uh, I think customer engagement is sort of a big um, focus for many CMOs. But can you talk a little bit about why you purposefully um, made that shift and and sort of had had the role defined in this way at your organisation? Yeah, I mean, so for Sherm, you know, we've been going through a transformation and we've spent the last three or so years developing sort of a a new strategy. And as part of that, you build a lot of foundation, right? So part of it is the technology enablement that we've had to put in place. And we're at the, I'd say, the the end of all of that, which enables us to now really take a look and provide a more personalized customer experience, which marketing, kind of thinking about that customer in the center, right, has the ability to be able to, 
impact all the different touch points that a customer or in our case, a member has. And so, uh, you know, my CEO, Johnny C. Taylor Jr. sat down after he had joined Sherm. And one of the things he took a look at was how do we think about the customer or our member? And again, it's been an evolution, a bit of a transformation for the organization. But I say that we are at the point where we talk about ourselves as being customer centric. We created our budgets for 2022. Um, and our KPIs aligned with each of the segments of our customer set. And so that is something that's different for uh, lots of organizations. Typically, you know, you're taking a look at it as a whole and what do you need to be able to deliver to the organization? But we are actually looking at it um, at an individual segment level. And because the investments that we've made in technology, um, really through a personalization engine, it'll enable us to actually get down to that one-to-one. That's kind of nirvana for all of us marketers. Is this a, um, you know, I feel like a lot of what you're talking about vis-a-vis the shift uh, for employers with their employees is stuff that HR professionals have been saying for quite some time. Like, I feel like a lot of this stuff is not new. Is this something that requires changed behaviour from the average CEO? Is this, like, does this require more organisational transformation or is this something that you think the average company kind of gets and now it's just a matter of really rolling it out um, because I'm just I'm always worried that what what is known about people and culture doesn't always permeate the whole organization and sometimes it can be it can be tough on HR professionals to to push that through yeah I mean from a marketing perspective we used to talk about you know our customer strategy is our business strategy right I was at an agency before I came here and that was one of the things that we always talked about when I'm here now at term when I think about it and I think about how we advise other organizations your talent strategy is your biggest is your business strategy and why that's important is that I mean think about your 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 income statements right salaries compensation and benefit is a big piece of that expense line and so making sure that we're hiring right we're retaining the right people and doing so in a way that is really very efficient and effective is important and so um you know we talk about churn in marketing well you talk about churn in hr too um different words that tend to get used certainly but um it's the same concept so I think HR or CEOs, in fact, are beginning to really grasp onto that because, you know, it costs you every time you hire somebody. And if you don't keep them, you're churning out and then you got to bring somebody in. It's similar to, you know, cost per acquisition, right? It's a cost per employee acquisition that you're taking a look at. So there's a lot of similarities between the two. And I think HR can learn a lot from that, which is why, you know, we're kind of talking about this now, because I think there's an opportunity for CEOs to really see the value in um, the HR function from the standpoint of helping to drive the business strategy from talent perspective. You mentioned um, the the importance of culture. Can you define for me what you mean when you say company culture? Oh, that's a biggie. Um, you know, I think it's, um, and I, you know, I think you could ask 10 people and you have 10 different definitions, certainly. But, um, you know, I, I think it's really who you want to be as a brand and then who you want to be as an employer brand. So there's the brand itself and then there's the employer brand. And I think... Um, you know, for us at Sherm, I would say two months after, you know, Johnny came in a seat in uh, a CEO, we huddled as an executive team at a hotel in a conference room and thought about who do we want to be? 
And who do we want to be not only to our members, but also to our employees? And we came up with some guiding principles. So I think it really is um, what's important to us as, a, as an organization. And, you know, we look at our mission, we look at those guiding principles, and we make sure that we're hiring uh, for that. So I think culture takes up all of those things, right? It's, um, it, it really is what's important to you as a brand and how you want to portray that um, in your employee base. Um, so you're, what you're describing, I guess, starts as a top-down. How do you, as an employer, then ensure that it also feels like it's owned by your employees and that it isn't just, you know, a plaque that you stick yeah. up on a wall? Not that you suggested that, but we've all walked through those offices where it's like, you know, we value this, this, and this, and then you yeah. look at the employees and you're like, I don't know if they be, believe that, right? Well, you know what's funny is... Um, it's so true because I think in many organizations, it's exactly what it is. It's a plaque on the wall. But if you hire people according to your guiding principles, if you will, and they they represent what your culture is, and we do that. You know, when we're going through interviews, I talk about our guiding principles and I ask for examples on, you know, what guiding principles most important to you, what resonated with you, and then could you help describe for me um, what that looks like or cite an example. Our last guiding principle is called push back to move forward. And um, and what that simply means is that we want all the voices heard, right? We really value diversity of voice. Um, and once we hear the your your opinion on something, we're not going to um, uh, re-architect the strategy necessarily, right? We're, we we have to continue down our path. We'll listen to what that voice is, and then make a decision. Once we make the decision, and we're headed down, you know, it's a fork in the road, and we're headed right. Uh, we need everyone lined up. And so it's really important to be able to make sure that when somebody's in comms, for instance, right, the communications department, I'm hiring for somebody there, if they're going to have difficulty with a particular policy that we're advocating for, then, you know, that's a red flag because mm -hmm. your personal view is something, um, but you need to be able to represent the organization and our membership. And so I think those guiding principles really do help ensure that you're hiring for people that are going to fit in the culture and it's going to be a happier place for them, right? It's going to be a win-win so that you really make sure that you, um, uh, that you use it in everything that you, that you do. Yeah. I love that. I feel like that, um, that reminds me, I want to say early, uh, running my company shareably, I made the mistake of not communicating that, hearing something out doesn't mean agreeing to do it. Um, yeah, which to me was obvious, but was obviously not clear to, to some of my team. And I remember hearing that feedback of you don't listen. I was like, I listened. I just didn't agree and didn't change course, you know. But it has to be put out because then if people feel like they're not heard or like they haven't had a chance to express, um, you know, their perspective, then that can be very demotivating. Absolutely. And you, and you really do. I mean, if we're going to walk the walk and talk the talk, and we really true do, truly believe in DEI principles, then we want diversity of thought as well. And so right. really listen. And, you know, candidly, um, we talk about boardrooms, right? A more effective boardroom is when there's more diversity in that boardroom or a leadership team. And it's that diversity of thought and experience as well as, as you know, other other aspects of diversity that are so important in making sure that you're getting the best outcome. 
Yeah, and I mean the the boardroom point is a good one. You know, it's it's making sure you have a diversity of thought and opinions around the table. But I know, you know, one thing that um, you know I've sort of worked through uh, in my career is this concept of maybe having a board who hasn't had a female tech CEO on the board and not and them not knowing how to navigate that. So it's it's an interesting where you're like now you're looking for their breadth of experience and and not just that. But uh, it's uh, yeah it's it's a it's a many headed beast. I think there. <laughs> Um, so you talked you talked a little bit about the shift and the focus for DE and I. How has that changed in the past year? Um, and do you believe that this shift that you're seeing is permanent or something that you're starting to see swing back? You know, I think it's something we have to keep front and center all the time because if we if we put our guard down, then you know things are going to go back to you know business as usual. We're humans, right? That's that's what happens. You need to really make sure it stays front and center. We had a campaign last year called Together Forward at Work. And the whole concept was we had a TV commercial associate, a lot of research. We put together a, um, a council of thought leaders that uh, to be able to help think about how the um, the uh, business community should be thinking about all of this and implementing change. Um, but you got to keep that alive. You know, so I expect fully that this year, We'll do more research around that area and that we'll be helping more organizations. We just had a, an event in D.C. a week ago called Visionaries. We did it with the Aspen Institute and it was around belonging and such an important subject to make sure that, um, you know, everybody understands how you should implement an, an appropriate DE&I strategy and really to make people feel like they belong in the organization. Um, that's an inclusive kind of strategy. So um, my hope is, is that we keep it on the forefront. And that we don't let um, it, it slide back because it's, it's important for all of us and it's important for the next generation. Yeah, it sure is. And I think there's a lot of conversation right now about what are the things that we want to purposefully keep that maybe got accelerated without as much intent um, in 2020 and into this year. And I think this is definitely one of those topics which I don't see going away or becoming less important anytime soon, but it's, it's great to, to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the, what's come out of COVID, right, you got mental health. We, we do a lot around mental health and work with our foundation, the Sherm Foundation on that. We, um, you know, the whole concept around talent and making sure that you're retaining talent and hiring the right talent. And then, of course, DE&I. I mean, those are three biggies um, that I think as an HR organization or frankly, as a CEO, you need to be aware of and look for opportunities to be able to make sure that your organization, your company is equipped to be able to handle that for the sake of your employees. Yeah, I um, I, I, and I feel like employees are just going to keep holding employers' feet to the fire, and that's good, you know, because like I know, I think when um, uh, Prime Minister, sorry, President Biden, sorry, I'm Australian, <laughs> President <laughs> Biden, um, declared Martin Luther King Day a public holiday, like within minutes, I had my team going, "What's what's the company's stance on this? What are you what are you doing next?" You're like, "Whoa, I haven't even had a chance to read it," but it was it was, it was great to see, you know. I think it, it's really um activated a lot of people to to get much more involved um so turning a little more to you and to your story okay. um if you look back throughout your career mm -hmm. what do you see as either the most or one of the most influential decisions you've made that sort of impacts who you are and, and where you are today 
Wow. I can tell you right off the bat what it was. Um, I started off in, in large companies in my career, right? So Fortune 500, AT&T, I worked for Sprint. Um, and then I did startups. I did, did two startups and then went into mid-market um, more. Um, and I think the, I remember literally sitting in my office um, after working at AT&T and Sprint and thinking, um, oh my gosh, you know, working for two big giants um, in the telecom arena at the time, um, uh, is there, what is life going to be like after that? And the good news is that I really do feel, I credit AT&T for much of this, quite honestly, is that they gave me such a foundation and an opportunity um, to learn from some of the best uh, leaders around. I had, you know, some um, exceptional leaders that I was able to work with. I was also part of like a, a, um, a, um, in a high potential kind of group. So you really had an opportunity to move uh, every 18 months to two years into new roles and working with senior leaders. So um, that was exceptional. And so I think I learned in, um, you know, I'll say five years, what I'd learned in 15. And so it was that kind of an exceptional moment and early in my career that I'm lucky enough to have had that allowed me to say, okay, you got this, Janine. Um, have the confidence that you can do it. And then I got involved in, I was, you know, in the 2000s when everybody was looking for a startup. It was, uh, you know, kind of the, the days of the, the early days of the internet and there was so much opportunity. Um, and then from then on, I don't look back. I mean, it was really that, that big jump from um, the larger companies to really be able to say, now let me take those best practices and what I learned there and, and bring it to others. And so um, I think that was kind of momentous for me. And I don't look back now. I think it was probably the, the best decision I could have made. Um, when you think about how you are as a marketer today, what was the first brand that sort of made an impact on you as a person? And, you know, and what, if anything, do you take from that in terms of how you're a marketer today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, um, so I, I actually, there's, there's one, you know, big case study on Tylenol. Um, and I, you know, remember being in business school and um, uh, talking about remember the Tylenol issue that happened with uh, tampering. Um, and so the way in which Tylenol as a brand managed that was great. I mean, they could have tried to hide things. And I don't remember the details all, you know, it was many, many years ago. But I remember walking away thinking, okay, they, um, they stood up like a brand that um, was responsible for their actions and took accountability. And so it could have been a disaster story that, you know, they went away. Um, but instead, they flourished. They flourished because they handled it with such grace and with accountability. I think that's actually the key word in it. Um, they didn't try to hide things. They said, yep, we messed up. And, and then, you know, they looked for uh, areas to make sure that never happened again. Um, so I think the Tylenol brand, and just because I, you know, I remember it being a case study that we, that we examined, um, was a brand that you have to sit back and say, okay, they did that right. Um, and it, it sort of, I mean, look at some other brands. You know, I, I, uh, I remember Enron and what happened with Enron, right? That was a brand that was trying to hide everything. Mm. And, and look what happened. There's no Enron today. And there's, you know, you can either stand up as a brand and be credible and uh, be truthful and authentic, or you can um, 
you know, make some disastrous choices and then poof, you know, you're gone. So um, I also think that part of that in what Tylenol, you know, did really well was think about the customer. You know, what were the customer's needs? How were they reacting as a customer? What did you want to hear from them? Um, and they did that right. Um, now, it's not to say that everything went smoothly, I'm sure, if I went back and probably read it, you know, 30 years later. But um, but I do think that uh, that they um, that they handled it very professionally and the way in which a customer would want, which is why they still have a lot of customers today. Right. And it's I mean, I think you talked a lot about customer centricity. So I'm, I'm hearing that theme um, with accountability. And I, I think what you're also describing is just integrity, right? Like yes, it was just, yeah. it was, it had a lot of integrity. Yeah. If you could go back in time to the start of your career and offer yourself one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, and that's actually another, that's an easy one for me is to have confidence in yourself. Know that you can do it. Um, I actually had somebody in my office this morning and, um, uh, and I literally said to her, be confident, show your voice, let your voice be heard. Because, you know, I think we all, um, when you're early in your career, you can be hesitant and not sure. You may be thinking that, but somebody else says it around the table. Be the one to say it. And um, so I think it's have the confidence that, um, that you know what you're doing. And that um, you know what you're talking about, and you can you can do it. So, how did that switch get flicked for you, or like how did you learn to just dive in on that statement? You know, I think it's um, I think it just takes time, and to um, um, I, I think you know we all change, right? I'm a very different person today than I was when I was you know 25, and um, uh, I think. You build the confidence over time. But as I look back on it, um, you know, I knew what I was doing then. I should have been more confident and uh, could have been a stronger voice than, than maybe I was at times. I certainly was no, I wasn't shy and, and was, was able to, to, you know, uh, have my voice heard in the room. But um, I think I probably could have done a better job of it. Yeah, I love that. It's a... Uh... That's really terrific advice. Uh, wonderful. Well, I know we have to hold it there. Um, Janine, such a pleasure to speak with you. I really look forward to hearing more about what you're seeing change and shift. I know this is just such a topical and such a timely area for pretty much everyone in business these days. So really want to thank you for taking the time to, to share your knowledge and, and what you're seeing in the industry. Oh, no. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it.